This week I am wrapping up a sermon series that I've been doing on food in the Bible, taking a look at the major themes of food and, and uh, bread and banquets and all kinds of imagery that the Bible uses. Um, it has been a fun series. I've really enjoyed this. It's been a fun one to preach and to research and to think about. And uh, today we're going to be talking about meat. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you want to turn there. Um, I will get to the text here in a few moments. Instead of speaking today about a theme in the Bible, I, I want to talk specifically about an issue that's going on in the church at Corinth that Paul is addressing that I think has a lot to say for us today. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but in ancient times, there's not refrigeration. There's not good shipping. So... What were the restaurants of those days? Typically, they, there were restaurants, there were places where you could go to eat socially in the community, but often they were associated with the idol worship of a particular community. I mean, think about it, if you were offering uh, during the day to some deity, you would have extra meat left over from that. And so very often later that day, or even the next day, you could cook up that meat and serve it. And people could buy or could trade to come and eat that meat. Or at least you could sell that meat in the market. Uh, and so there was this huge business around idolatry in those days. Um, not so much for the Jews, uh, though some of the Jewish sacrifices you actually could eat. Uh, the, the priest would, at several of the sacrifices, could put a fork in. And whatever meat came out, they were able to take home for their family. That's how the priests eight. Um, but there were also sacrifices for the Jews where you could take part of the sacrifice home and eat some of the lamb or some of the bull for yourself. In other cultures, not the Jewish faith, this was a major business. That was the restaurants and all the, all the important people in the community came and ate at, that, at those places during the day while they were in the community for the business of the day. Um, so this became an issue for the early Christians, particularly in Corinth, where there was major sacrifices going on. First of all, they're not Jewish. So they've already kind of established through some arguments for Paul early on that they don't have to follow all of the Jewish customs. They don't have to worry about the eating kosher, for example. And so they, they, they're free, technically, to eat this meat. But if they eat this idol meat, what will other people say? This meat has been offered to idols. So if they partake in the meat, are they in fact affirming the sacrifice of that animal to the deity that they don't believe in because now they follow Christ? Huge dilemma. And Christians disagreed over this. In fact, fought about it. Some of the Christians would say, no, you shouldn't eat that meat at all. Other Christians said, no, we're free to eat that meat. And so the church at Corinth, known for so many divisions, has this as one of the main issues that they seem to fight over. I mean, at stake is a number of issues. And Paul, Paul writes them, and he calls himself in the book their spiritual father. Paul started that church and as he did so often, he would start the church and he would leave. But he often kept in touch via letters. So we have 
Paul's letters, we don't have any of their letters, but we know from some of the things in the letters that it's an exchange. They're going back and forth. And Paul also has working for him certain people that are traveling kind of to the churches he's already started to check up on him. And so Paul is getting words back that the church at Corinth is doing some crazy stuff, including this argument that apparently they wrote to him about. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says this. Now concerning food offered to idols. See, he doesn't explain that. He just says now concerning that because apparently they had already written to him. It's an ongoing exchange. We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to eating food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Most of our Bibles probably have those in quotations because we think Paul is quoting their letter in his letter. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating an idol's, at an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother... And wounding the conscience of the weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. We're going to stop there, but we're going to pick up in chapter 10 here in a little bit. There's three big issues going on here, besides kind of underlying this issue of idle meat. First question is, how do we, as God's people, relate to the world? What are we going to do with things that the world is doing? There's a couple of extremes, right? On the one hand, there are Christians who say we should be totally outside of the world, not do anything that the world does. We use Christian as an adjective on this side. So we listen to Christian music, we listen to Christian radio, we watch Christian movies, read Christian books. Christianity almost becomes its sub, a subculture. It doesn't really relate to the rest of the world. Let's just go over here and be ourselves. On the other hand, there are those who would just be okay with whatever the world does and whatever the world says. Christians that look no different than the people around them. The Christianity becomes an unimportant designation for those. People who just live in the world but don't live much differently. There are those also that will live in the tension of those two things. 
Understanding that some of what the world has, we can take and we can use and can be good. And there may be some other things in the world that is just not helpful and not good. It's not easy to know where to draw those lines. It wasn't easy for Corinth, and it's certainly not always easy for us. This also brings up another issue, another underlying part of this discussion. And that, I believe, is the messiness of the nature of sin and freedom. We would like to say that sin is black and white. If I do these things, it's bad. If I do these things, it's good. And that's that. And there are certain things that are clearly like that. But there are other things in our lives that are, that are contextual. Where the same action done for different reasons or done in different places can be more or less problematic. Is it okay if I meet a woman at a hotel for a romantic evening? Well, is it my wife or not? Same behavior, different person, problematic or okay? Is it okay to shoot someone? Well, are we in war? Am I a police officer? Am I defending myself? See, see, the same action may be different based on the context. Let's take a modern example that I think fits really interestingly with this whole discussion of idle meat. And that is alcohol. How many of you grew up where, where as Christians, you did not drink? And your, or your parents would say, you know, no. No drinking. We can, we can remember that, Right? Don't drink, play cards, and ch- or chew, and don't hang out with those that do, right? We've heard that before. I mean, we, we... What do you think of that, though? Does the Bible ever forbid drinking alcohol? No, in fact, if you look at 1 Timothy 5, it commends a little wine. Jesus made wine, drank wine, and passed wine to his friends. To say no alcohol is problematic. But the Bible does talk a lot about drunkenness. But here's the challenge with that. What does the Bible mean when it says drunkenness? Does that mean I can get a little happy at my house? Or I can't get a little happy? Or is that looking more at an alcohol addiction? Is wine okay, but beer is not? Liquor, jello shots, how do you draw those lines? Should you or I as a Christian not drink at all? Should we not drink around certain people because of our witness? Can we do it at home, but we shouldn't be hanging out in bars? What about drinking around someone who's a recovering alcoholic, where you might cause them to fail because of your witness? It's not an easy issue, is it? It's not clear. It's not black and white. And we can look back at the church and see all kinds of times when the church pushed for prohibition, where the church said no drinking. In fact, in many, most Methodist churches, and in, 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 I would say most Presbyterian churches, we still do grape juice at communion. We don't do wine. But the rest of the world does wine most of the time. And that's a carryover from prohibition and from a big push by some of the mainline denominations to say that we shouldn't have alcohol at all. It's not clear. I know of churches where if an elder or a deacon were to be caught drinking, they would be in trouble. But I also know of a church, a Lutheran church, that has a monthly beer and hymn sing. 
where they go to a bar and they have a piano or a keyboard with them. They bring a bunch of old hymnals and they drink and sing loudly and just take over the bar, filling it with good old-fashioned Lutheran hymns. I know a church in our presbytery that has a ministry called Faith on Tap, where people get together at a bar or a restaurant once a month to have just faith discussion. And it's not a Bible study. It's just discussion. Everybody brings their own opinion and they have a good time. And that, that church is reaching people that don't normally come to church. See, it can be messy. It can be messy. And so we might want to retreat from the world or we might want to just accept it. But, but the truth is in a lot of issues, we've got to wrestle to find that middle. And this takes us, I think, to the third issue of this text. Which is, what will we do with the diversity of opinions that we have over such issues? When it's not always white, right and wrong, black and white, and we're not sure what to do. Many people just want to separate again. I don't agree with this group, so I'm going to have nothing to do with this group. And others will say, well, everybody to each its own. You know, do your own thing. In fact, I think one of the things that Paul is setting up in this, and the way he talks about how we get puffed up, is he's explaining why we have some of the conflicts that we do. Often we want things to be black and white. And so we get things, we get excited, we get puffed up and arrogant about our position. And what we end up doing is idolizing our viewpoints and our leaders. And we end up demonizing the leaders and the viewpoints that we disagree with. And what we end up is being very polarized. Does this sound like the United States at all right now? You're either in this party or that party. I don't know a lot of people that have okay opinions about certain political figures or viewpoints. You either hate people or you like people. There's no middle ground. In our denomination, it's the same thing. We have churches just leaving because they disagree with things. Churches excited because they get to do what they want to do. But there's not a lot of middle ground on viewpoints or on positions in our world right now. And there's more and more division and more and more tension. Turn on the news, you'll see it. Flip stations, you'll see it from the other perspective. And we end up just like the Corinthians, fighting. Not knowing what to do with our diversity and being ripped apart in the process. And so what is Paul's answer to the idol meet? Paul's answer is this. If you're really free, then you're also free to not do something. If you're really free to be able to do whatever you want, you're also free on occasion to say no to something that you can do because it's going to harm someone else. That the way of Christianity is a way of self-sacrifice. A way of taking other people into, into account in your decision making. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 25, I encourage you to read this whole passage from 8 through 10 in 1 Corinthians, because Paul goes on and on about this issue. But I want to read to you the conclusion. Here's the real practical... Here's what you do. Eat whatever is sold in the marketplace, 1025. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go... 
Eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered to a sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who, is inform, who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of, what, because of that for which I give thanks? So here's the sum of it. So whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to, Jew, to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Paul says this, you should be motivated in your life by two things. Honoring God and loving others. Where have we heard that before? Jesus, in summing up the law, says, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Apparently, Paul just doesn't see that as kind of a a good thing to be put on a mug or hanging on the wall in your home. Paul sees those priorities as the way you should make ethical decisions in your lives. Should I or should I not do this? Well, does it honor God and does it show love to your neighbor? There's the criteria. To be clear, Paul is not saying to avoid taking stand on important issues. In fact, Paul slams the Corinthians for some of their behaviors that they are allowing and even celebrating in their midst. For Paul, there are certain lines that need to be drawn. And there are certain lines that need to be considered And what Paul wants the Corinthians to do, and what Paul wants us to do, is wade into that messiness. To do the hard work of thinking through and making those decisions. So when it comes to alcohol, for example, uh, is it okay to enjoy alcohol? Yeah, I think sometimes it is. I have some specific drinks, some craft beers that I really enjoy. Occasionally a mixed drink or two. But I've decided that I'm not going to get drunk, particularly when I'm around a bunch of people, church people or otherwise, because I'm going to be looked at and I want to make sure my witness is okay. And I'm careful about the people that I drink with. If I'm around somebody I know is an alcoholic or when I was up in Erie, I used to do a lot of work with the city mission. So they were they were all guys in recovery. I did not talk about drink there, let alone drink with them. I'm free to drink, but I'm also free not to when it is valuable for the other person. What is your line? Maybe not just even in terms of drink, but in terms of your work, in terms of your parenting. Maybe you run a store, work at a credit union, you're an office manager or a waitress or a union worker. What ethical issues are you facing in your life that you need to discern, that you need to decide, that aren't always necessarily black and white. See, I don't live your life. I don't, I don't know what those issues are. And unfortunately, the Bible can't always just say, okay, I'm going to go to the parenting section of the Bible and get exactly what I'm supposed to do. No, you've you got to wrestle that out. You've got to wrestle that out. And Paul is inviting the Corinthians and inviting you and I to wonder about that. 
to start living every day under the purpose of, man, if Jesus has done so much for me, then I owe him my life. And so I'm going to make every decision in my life to honor him and to love others so that they may see what great things Christ has done. And I think if we would start to do this as Christians, I think we would know how to relate to the world. We'd start to be able to engage the world in ways that continue to protect our own purity, but also allow us to reach out into the world. I think we would prayerfully wrestle with this messiness of sin and start to get a lot better at making the decisions we should. And I think a lot of our challenges with polarization and diversity would start to fade away because our our sides and our opinions would not matter, but Christ would matter above all else. We would stop leaving, stop fighting to the death, and instead start to discern and discuss together. As I read this text, I could not help but think, looking at our nation, looking at our churches, how fresh and modern this text really is. I pray that it lingers for you and that you wade into the messiness of making decisions in your life to honor God and to love others. Let's pray. Lord, first I want to thank you that an old text written to the church at Corinth can speak so much to our own lives. And Lord, I want to ask that you would continue to speak to each one of us this week. Help us to not live our lives on automatic pilot but instead to make decisions so that you would be honored in everything we do and everything that we are. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.